Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 4. This can be found on page 997 in the Bibles and the chairs. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, let's pray as we stand. Heavenly Father, teach us from your word so that we might be changed and used to make a difference by the power of your spirit. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Please take a seat and uh, do turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 on page 151 of the Bibles. And also uh, put a marker in Ephesians chapter 6, which is on page 9. Seven, nine. So that's Deuteronomy 6, page 151, and put a marker in Ephesians 6 on page 979. And a special welcome this morning to uh, teachers, governors, others involved in schools, but also parents and carers, grandparents, children's and youth leaders, and all involved in Holiday Club this week here at St. Joseph's. As we look at the question, why teach? Why indeed, I used to say to myself when I was a teacher, and reading things like this in RE exam papers, Moses led the Hebrew slaves to the Red Sea, where they made unleavened bread, which is bread made without any ingredients. Moses went up Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. He died before he reached Canada. <laughs> well, let me begin in true teacher style by asking you a question. But there's no need to put your hands up. What makes a good school? That was the first question put to me in my year of teacher training. The answer given wasn't more money or new buildings, but this a good head teacher. And there's a lot of truth in that. Certainly head teachers are crucial in determining the standards and ethos of a school. But what makes a good head teacher? Someone who has leadership, teaching and people skills, and from what we learn in the Bible, someone who builds on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His words the greatest leader and teacher to have ever walked on this planet. So can I challenge some of you this morning? What's your ambition? Is it to influence thousands of young people for Christ? Helping them to understand that a truly successful life, so to speak, is one built on the rock of Jesus Christ and His words? If so, why not aim to be a head teacher? There's a head teacher here who'd be willing to mentor you, I'm sure. And if not a head teacher, a teacher, or a classroom assistant, or a mentor, or a governor, or to work with children and young people here at St. Joseph's. Schools, 
children and young people need you. Now, teaching's not easy. One journalist who taught at a good school as a trial wrote this. Teaching is the toughest job in the world. I lost more sleep in that one term than in any other job. And there are also pressures of teaching at a time when the government doesn't want Christian morals taught in state schools. Although the Prime Minister has said that Christians should be able to talk about their faith at work. A number of teachers have asked me, am I allowed to talk about traditional marriage in an assembly anymore? And if I do, will I lose my job? And this doesn't just affect schools. Apparently the government are still determined to regulate church youth groups. Now I'm in danger of putting some of you off being involved. So let me encourage you, whether you're a teacher already or someone who's considering it, teaching is a Christian vocation. It's not just a job. Yes, it can be stressful, but you have the opportunity to impact the lives of many children and young people by teaching the truth in love, by being salt and light, and an ambassador for Jesus Christ, by showing the love God has for them and your love for him, which should impact the whole of your being. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 4 to 5. And surely to come back to morals, we're to teach God's commands in love. Isn't that what Deuteronomy chapter 6 is saying? Particularly in verses 4 to 7. We shouldn't be ashamed to teach the truth appropriately in love. We've to be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves, Jesus said, but God comes first. Martin Luther, a well-known person from the Reformation in the church in the 16th century, said, if I could leave the office of preacher or were forced to do so, there is no other office that I would rather have than that of schoolmaster. For I know that next to the office of preaching, this is the best, the greatest, and most useful there is. In fact, I'm not absolutely sure which of the two is better. But we mustn't forget the importance of parents, carers, grandparents. In fact, the most important factor in good education is the involvement of parents or carers. As the Bible makes clear from Deuteronomy chapter 6 we, uh, and from uh, other passages, that fathers, mothers, and grandparents all have a vital role to play in the education of their children. So let's look at that first. Teach God's word to your children. That's verse 7 of Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4 of Ephesians 6. Now the Bible doesn't push for indoctrination of children in the home or at school but rather natural, intentional, daily communication of the faith. Look at verse 7 of Deuteronomy 6. Teach God's commandments 
diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it, of that natural daily communication of the faith to our children. Now turn to page 979. That's Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, which says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers then have a particular responsibility to bring up their children in the training or discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see, Paul, in contrast at the time to the Roman authoritarian model of fatherhood, sees Christian fathers as self-controlled, gentle, and patient educators of their children. That human fathers are to care for their families as God the Father cares for His. Yet how easy it is for we fathers to exasperate our children instead and often to be away. Perhaps some of us have to re-examine our priorities. And some schools are now actually wanting fathers and grandfathers to help because of the lack of male teachers. But what if the father isn't around or isn't a believer? Well, you still want them involved if possible. But in the case of Timothy in the Bible, it was his mother and grandmother who brought him up in the faith, as his father doesn't appear to have been a believer. And of course, mothers are also to be involved. Verses 1 to 3 of Ephesians 6 refers to parents. And yes, Christian parents can delegate some of their responsibility to church and to school, but not all of it. Yes, children spend a lot of time at school, but far more time at home. And when parents do delegate, they're still to be involved and interested in appropriate ways by supporting the church youth groups and encouraging the leaders by examining carefully the possible school options, by becoming a governor themselves, by asking what religious education their children are doing, if any. Surely schooling must be a partnership between schools and parents, and even with appropriate members of the community. You know, many young people today lack confidence in class and need support from others who can help. Not all, though, such as the 10-year-old who the other week recently applied to be professor of Lego at Cambridge University. Can you believe it? To become a professor of Lego at Cambridge. And it was. It was a serious job. And the 10-year-old said in his application, I am definitely the right person for this job. And he probably was. So according to verse 4 of Ephesians 6, what specifically is to be taught? Well, first, fathers, parents are literally to train their children by discipline. In Hebrews 12, it's used of both fathers and God the Father who discipline their children for their good. 
So there's a need for right discipline in the home, as indeed there is at school. Another part of the Bible, Proverbs 13, 24, says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful or diligent to discipline him. Now that doesn't mean discipline in cruel ways, but in appropriate, consistent, and controlled ways, so that the child will not follow a path of destruction. You see, in the Bible, the rod or setting limits imparts wisdom and promotes a healthy and a happy family. And again, note that discipline is rooted in love, just as the Lord disciplines those he loves. So parents must be clear about their motives when disciplining their children. It's always dangerous to discipline your children when you're annoyed, when your pride's been injured, or when you've lost your temper. When you're disciplining a child, you should have first controlled yourself. You see, what right have you to say to your child that they need discipline when you obviously need it yourself? Self-control, control of temper, is essential in the control of others. Secondly, the Christian upbringing of children also includes instruction or teaching. And this certainly runs counter to one fashion today, which encourages parents and teachers to leave children to find their own way. Now, some parents can go to the other extreme and be too domineering. So what's the balance? What's meant by instruction or teaching? Well, we've got to distinguish between true and false education. False education is indoctrination, in which parents and teachers impose their mind and will on a child. But true education is stimulation, in which parents and teachers act as a catalyst and encourage the child to make his or her own responses. This they can't do if parents leave the child to flounder, no, they have to teach, explain, and defend Christian values of truth and goodness and recommend their acceptance without coercion. Praying and reading the Bible with them, bringing them to church and modeling the Christian life to them. Then the prayer is that by God's grace, they'll come to know Jesus themselves. And we greatly rejoice when they do, and we carry on praying for those who don't yet. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, going back to that passage, says that God's commands are to be upon our hearts and so lived out. Parents are to be examples. So what's uh, the best thing a father can do for his children? And this is something that I say at all marriages, at all weddings. Well, it's to love their mother and together bring them to Christ. Children are a gift from God. They don't belong to the state. The prime responsibility of our children's education lies with parents or carers. 
Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. And Jesus said to his disciples and to parents, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them in any way. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So secondly, moving on to school teaching. Teach the truth in love. Jesus came at the first Christmas full of grace and truth. And Paul urges us to speak the truth in love. And that's so important in a world of fake news, of alternative facts, of threatening tweets and angry protest. If Jesus is the truth and Lord over all, then his claims need to be proposed, even if not imposed. Truth which reveals the truth about ourselves and the world around us. The assumption you see today throughout education authorities is that children are essentially good. But the Bible teaches that children are essentially sinful. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And that has major implications for discipline and for learning. You see, what should the aim of education ultimately be? Surely a knowledge of the truth. And the answer to that fundamental problem of our sinfulness. In John chapter 14 verse 6 and uh, chapter 8 and verse 32, Jesus says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you hold to my teaching, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And knowing those truths used to be the aim of religious education here in Newcastle. But today the aim is as clear as mud. But some of you ask, hang on Jonathan, is this what schools should be teaching? Well, is education merely the path to worldly success? Certainly it's important that academic and skill standards are high. And Christians down the centuries have always pioneered education, believing it to be so important. Samuel Rutherford was a Scottish evangelist, one of Ken's forebears, maybe. And he came to this city and brought the gospel, brought the good news of Jesus. But he also established Rutherford School on the West Road and Northumbria University. Because he believed that that was so important. The gospel comes, education comes, and therefore lift comes as well. People get on and do better. And it's vital, isn't it, that children learn to read, not least so they can read the Bible. But are we today, with Christian influence getting less in our schools, of creating what Martin Luther called clever devils. And what will that mean for society? 
Now, this doesn't mean that we don't teach a wide range of subjects and that we're not concerned about the development of the whole person. Of course we are. Luke chapter 2, verse 52 says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And Jesus teaches us and shows us how to live, which could be the basis of personal and social education in schools. Because Jesus is fully God and fully man, he shows us what being truly human really means. Pontius Pilate's question to Jesus before Christ's crucifixion, what is truth, needs to be examined in our schools. Because Jesus says, I am the truth. And the danger of creating clever devils reminds us that a better academic education can't change the heart of a sinful human being, but only the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, says Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Dwight L. Moody, the American evangelist, once said, if a man is stealing nuts and bolts from a railway track, and in order to change him, you send him to college, at the end of his education, he will steal the whole railway track. And Jesus said to Pontius Pilate, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. That's John 18, verse 37. So if you're teaching in any way whatsoever, are you telling the truth? And to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, are you showing the truth and being an example to those you teach? What example will you be when you go back to school after half term? What, will, what example will you be to your children today, tomorrow? One of my former students watched my behavior in the classroom for a whole year to see if I was a genuine believer before she would come to the school Christian group. Which brings us to my final point about why teach. To be salt and light. And that's Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. That's on page 810 of the Bibles. And if you're trusting in Jesus, Jesus says that you are, not will be or may be, but are the salt of the earth. And that you are the light of the world. Salt is a preservative, which also adds flavor. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying that without a healthy, active Christian influence, our schools and our society will rot. But if we be who we are in Christ, then we can't help but be an influence for good. As school face problems of our decaying society, how important it is that Christians are involved and stand in the gap. Yet are we in danger of losing our saltiness in education? You know, many schools today like to think of themselves as neutral places in terms of belief and morality. But in reality, there's no such thing as a neutral classroom. 
Some schools, yes, face very difficult situations. But we can help where there are open doors. Become a governor. Ask Mohammed Farsi about that. Ask Kieran McGrain about that. And they're both willing to help you in those roles and become governors. Get involved with your school. Add flavor. Offer support. Help run a Christian group. But as Jesus reminds us in Matthew 5, there will also be opposition at times. And we're also to shine as lights, Jesus says. People need to hear and see the message of the cross, the love of God. Some will then see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. Now, of course, it's the Holy Spirit who brings people to new birth in Jesus Christ. But as Christ's ambassadors, you're to both demonstrate and explain the love of Christ. You are representatives of the King of Kings. So go. Live up to your calling in the power of the Spirit. Be willing to stand up for Jesus, speaking the truth in love. Because Christ's love compels us. Let's pray together. And let's just spend a moment in quiet prayer, responding to uh, what God has been teaching us from his word and how we can best apply that to our lives and to the week ahead.